Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg. And before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge, where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month. And whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com slash go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erica.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside. I don't listen to the noise because it's irrelevant towards getting your goal done. I get a lot of heat. I get a lot of criticism. People say you're a mean guy, all that stuff. I don't give a shit. It just doesn't matter to me. Kevin O'Leary. Businessman, investor, journalist, and TV personality. But how do I make money? How much of your Shark Tank character is a persona that you put on for the TV versus real you? No, that is the real me. I mean, if you, you know, You're much nicer. The thing about business is it's binary. You either make money or you lose it. And so you have to tell the truth. And sometimes the truth is unpleasant. I don't want to invest in your deal because it's a stupid idea. And I think it's going to go to zero, and it probably will if I say that. That's such a waste of money for something that costs 20 cents. I never buy a frappe latte, blah, 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 woof, 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 for 250 That's such a waste of money. I can walk around with anybody for a day and show you that they're wasting 15% of their money, sometimes 20. Stupid stuff. You know, you go to work, you spend 15 bucks on a sandwich. What are you, an idiot? It costs you 99 cents to make a sandwich at home and bring it with you. You start to add that up every day, it's a ton of money. I'm Erica Kohlberg, and you're listening to the Erica Taught Me Podcast. I'm always on the go, jumping from meeting to meeting and juggling multiple projects. And it's been hard to find a workout routine that I can actually stick to. I've tried gym memberships, classes, but nothing was flexible enough to fit into my lifestyle until I came across Copilot. True to its name, Copilot puts me in the driver's seat when it comes to fitness, but it's always by my side with flexible, expertly crafted workouts, courtesy of my awesome coach. With Copilot, you download the app and you get assigned an expert coach. Mine is amazing. We got on a kickoff call where we talked about everything that I wanted to achieve. The workouts are customized for you and you can work out at any time at the gym or home, wherever you are. Doing a gentle workout routine at night has helped me relax so much and it's now a vital part of my fitness routine. My coach never feels far away and makes adjustments to my plan whenever I need, so there's no need for me to miss sessions. Copilot is fitness made easy. If you want to kickstart your health, then visit erica.com copilot to get a 14-day free trial with your own personal trainer. 
Again, that's erica.com slash copilot. Erica is with a K. Copilot is C-O-P-I-L-O-T to kickstart your health plan with a free trial. I'll leave the link in the description so that you can sign up now. So what do you think has made you so successful? Is there a specific trait that you can point to? You know, it's a great question. I get it asked all the time. I learned something years ago from a mentor named Jerry Patterson. I've had a lot of influences in my life, and I think mentorship becomes more valuable as time passes. You understand its value. It's lessons learned early. Jerry said to me once, you know, Kevin, if things go well, a lot of stuff is going to be thrown at you. You're going to get a lot of noise. You're going to get a lot of criticism. You're going to get all kinds of stuff from every angle every day. And successful managers are able to focus on the goal and shut all the noise out. I mean, he was so right. And so what I try and do each day is, is to focus on three things I want to get done. I mean, I've got a lot of different things going on, but each day there's three paramount things. And I don't listen to criticism. I don't care about it. I don't want to be crass. I don't listen to the noise because it's irrelevant towards getting your goal done. And when you achieve your goal, you're helping a lot of other people because you're building a business. That's what I do. I'm an investor. So, you know, I, I get a lot of heat. I get a lot of criticism. People say you're a mean guy, all that stuff. I don't give a shit. So it just doesn't matter to me because of Jerry. He taught me that. You just forget about that because there's more important things that you should focus your energy on. How do you decide then what is noise versus what is important to focus your energy on? Well, I have a lot of people I work with and I have a fantastic team. And we assess our situation every day based on the things that are coming at us as opportunities. Things that are, you know, in terms of our portfolio, we have over 50 companies now each day. And this is remarkable. Every day it's a roller coaster. And so I don't let something that sounds catastrophic turn everything off. I mean, that's a bad idea. That's the definition I've come to appreciate as a combination of experience and executional skills that I want everybody in my team to focus on. Just so we can get a sense of what your day looks like today, what are the three things that you wrote down? Oh, I'd already knew them from last night. We shot a television commercial in a studio last week, rather remarkable. We're using some very advanced technology for customer acquisition, including QR codes and pixel recognition and all kinds of things. And you know, when you do something like that, it's half art, half science. And you want to communicate the right message in a 15, a 30, and a 67 commercial. And I used to be an editor way back. Way back, I used to be a cameraman with 16 millimeter film and an eight plate Steenbeck editor. So when I see work, and today I still cut with Premiere Pro as an editor, just to keep my chops. If I see a jump frame or if I see something in that commercial I don't like, I want to get it fixed. Because to me, it has to be just perfect. And that's what I've been working on. You know, I got up this morning at uh, my, my routine is get up at five o'clock, get on the bike as soon as the sun breaks the horizon on the ocean, and then ride for nine miles, then go to the gym for about 40 minutes. I'm usually, you know, back in the saddle at about 7.45, and then that's what I worked on. And mm. so we've got, because this is going to the network, and we're bought a huge multi-million dollar package of advertising for this. So I'll know by, you know, two o'clock it's done. How do you balance being a perfectionist, but also realizing that if you're a perfectionist with everything, you're not going to get enough done? So sometimes no, no. maybe 80% good is better than nothing. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, you have to be careful when you say that because when you're involved in financial services, there is no gray zone. Either you make money or you lose it. So sometimes 80% isn't good enough. You've got to make sure that you're doing risk mitigation or whatever else. For me, it, it's sort of pick the three things. You can't do 20. 
And that means there'll be a lot of stuff that just goes by the wayside, but it doesn't matter because I've, the hardest work for any entrepreneur is prioritize what is important because that's the real skill of managing is, is, to, is not to waste your time on the garbage and the crap and the noise that's coming at you. Managers that fail are trying to make everybody happy all of the time. That is never going to work. You're never going to make everybody happy. So don't try. Like, don't even bother trying. That's it. <laughs> How has what matters to you, the big picture, changed over the years? What matters right now in terms of like the big picture things and then what mattered 10, 20 years ago in your career? Yeah, you know, that's a great question because I remember being myopically focused. Somebody told me once, it's impossible to make your first million dollars. And the, they were right. It was really hard. And then it was impossible to make your first $5 million. And they were right. It was really hard. And then it wasn't so hard anymore. You, you, you start to figure out, you know, in your journey, what works and what doesn't. And so I don't need any more money anymore. I'm very fortunate that way. I've had a lot of successes and a lot of failures. What I would like to have is more time. And so my most valuable asset today is how I use my time. And so what I learned along the way was that time is actually your most valuable asset because you either use it wisely or you waste it. That's, you know, you think about a productive day. I work harder today than I ever have. And the whole reason to become an entrepreneur is not about the greed of money. It's about the pursuit of personal freedom. That's what it's about, to be able to do whatever you want with your time, the most valuable asset, your time. So I've, I, I work with this wonderful woman named Nancy Chung and a whole team of others. We chop up the day into 30-minute blocks. At the end of the day, I review tomorrow. If there's anything I don't want to do, I say, get rid of that. I don't have to do it. And so I wish that success for everybody so that they could enjoy the ability to control your own white space of time. And sometimes I'll just take, you know, a block of time like I did yesterday. Uh, the CEO from Langay, a watch company that I really respect, is coming into town. I wanted to go to the boutique to see some of the new models. I jumped in an Uber. I met with the executives, got this fantastic new Odysseus. Looks I mean, nice. it's just a fantastic watch. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a new, you know, I'm a watch collector, so I'm really interested in the different brands and what they're doing. When you were talking earlier about how that first million was very difficult and the first five million, but then it gets easier, do you think that's because of a snowball effect, essentially, where your efforts are compounding? Or you think it's that you learned the skills necessary to make that now $10 million, the $50 million? It's because you have money. Because when you have money, you can take risks. And you know, when I, I talk to young entrepreneurs or any of my CEOs, I always say to them, you have to get to a place where you have $5 million in the bank because you can survive the rest of your life no matter what happens and your family. You can take care of a lot of people making 6 or 7% of $5 million. When you make that, you have to set that aside and you don't risk it. And then after that, you can start to take risk capital and put it to work. And, you know, as you, as you go down your journey, you start to understand what works and what doesn't. So I put a lot of bets out there and some of them are wildly successful. Others are catastrophically, you know, huge failures. But luckily I have more successes than failures. And, you know, sometimes I get a 10X, 100X, 1000X, and that pays for a lot of things. And, and the only reason I keep working is to buy more watches. <laughs> That's a good reason. Can you tell people how you made your first million dollars? Yeah, you know, a lot of people think it's an overnight success, but uh, the you know, soft key software products. I mean, my journey started this way. I wanted to be a photographer or a cinematographer. 
And I was doing a lot of photography in school, and I said to my father, I'm going to make this my, my life. He said, you'll starve to death. There's so many good photographers you're going to have to compete with, so many good cinematographers, so many great editors. It's very hard to break out. And I said, well, gee, you're not being very supportive. He said, what I'd like you to think about doing is, because you don't know yet, why don't you go and get finish school, go into university, finish that, and then get a master's of business so that you have the tool set as an entrepreneur to choose any direction you wish. And that was very good advice because it gave me time to mature a bit and learn the things I needed to know about running a business. And then as soon as I got out, I went back to what I wanted to do. I started a company that made shorts for the original six hockey teams for the networks. So, you know, we, we would run around all week shooting hockey players and coaches and teams in Detroit and Toronto and New York. And, and then we send it, I'd edit it and, and we send it up to the satellite and it would appear on Saturday hockey games. And that was my first company. And we, we started producing uh, Don Cherry's Grapevine, which is a format we owned. I didn't even know what a format was, but a format is ownership. It's IP and television. And then another program called The Original Six. Well, in a couple of years, the network started knocking on the door saying, we want to buy the company. And I said, this is how it works. This is pretty <laughs> good. So we sold that. And I started SoftKey Software Products because I'd met a, a guy named John Freeman who did plotter technology with Osborne Computers, very way back CPM. And we founded that together and I sold the software to giant plotter manufacturers because back in those days, you want to do graphs, they did it on a multi-axis plotter and we had the controlling software. And SoftKey grew into the learning company, which was the world's largest educational reference software company. And we sold that one for $4.2 billion. And then I woke up with the you know, founding team in Boston. We were in Cambridge and I said, wow, we're rich. How'd that happen? We didn't even notice it. We just, I'm not kidding. We just woke up one day and said, okay, what do we all do next? We went, we went right back to work. That's what happened. So we didn't stop. We just kept going. And that was many deals ago. I've had many, many deals since then. A few years ago, I set this goal. I said, I want to make a million dollars in my business this year. So then I did the math. If I want to make a million dollars, that means every working hour, I need to be making $480. So anything that would bring me more than $480, I'm in. Anything that's less, I need to figure out a way to outsource or make it more efficient. That year, I achieved my goal. And the key was that I was obsessed with efficiency. If there is something that I'm doing in my business that takes, let's say, three hours, and there's a tool or system or software that allows me to shave off time, I'm in. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 36,025,1. 36,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. There's tremendous power in having all this information in one place. And my buzzword, it's efficient. 
So if you're obsessed with efficiency like I am, then right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Erica. That's netsuite.com slash Erica to get your own KPI checklist. Erica is always with a K. That's netsuite.com slash Erica. Did that money hitting your bank account change anything about your life? No, not really. It, it, it really didn't. It's not about the greed of capital. You don't need that much to live, to be honest with you. I mean, you start to enjoy certain things, buying watches and things like that, but it, it didn't change our lives in any way. And, and I, because I'm, I'm not really into fast cars and all that stuff. You know, I like a nice house and, and all of that, but I don't measure someone's value by how rich they are. That means nothing to me. So, you know, people that say, oh, you know, I'm really, really rich, I don't give a shit. Like it's, you know, it's, it's how you, what are you doing with your time to help others succeed? How do you help entrepreneurs? If you have made a lot of money, you should pass it forward. You can afford to invest in other entrepreneurs. You can do a lot of things that you might enjoy, but it never really changed anything. I mean, it, it won't matter if, if I quadruple what I've got, you know? It's, uh, it's not gonna change anything. What was your relationship with money like growing up? My mother uh, gave me uh, all of my lessons on, on how to manage and, and have money. Uh, she said that you should never ever spend more than you bring in because otherwise you're gonna be in debt. And she was a very wise woman that way. What I learned from her was, and people never do this, even very wealthy people I know don't do this. And I get them to do it and they're shocked at the results. Get a piece of paper. You don't need a computer for this. You just write down over a 90-day period your sources of income, whatever it is, whatever you make. I don't care if you're hustling on the side or you're a waitress or you're you know, an Uber driver, I don't care. That's your income. The other side is what you spent money on in the last 90 days, your rent, food, whatever, you know, whatever you buy. And if they're equal, that's good. But 90% of the time, you're spending more than you make. And you're, you're going into debt, usually on a credit card of 21%. That's what destroys people. They just don't live within their means. So I really focus on that. It's all about you know, how much do I bring in, how much do I spend? What you wanna do is save about 20% of your income, put it into the market over a 20, 30 year period. It's gonna make six to 8% a year and you're gonna retire, even if you have the average salary, 54,000 in America, you'll have a million and a half bucks in the bank. That's how you have to do it. So my relationship with money has always been about being careful not to waste it my mother Georgette taught me, and this really probably flows into why I buy these watches, don't buy crap. She used to only buy one Chanel jacket a year, but a really good one. She loved Chanel. And when she died, there was a cat fight for her clothing amongst the women in my family because they were now vintage Chanel's that were worth way more than what she paid for them. So she really, so most people, you go look in your closet, it's full of crap you don't need. You bought crap that you just don't wear. You wore it once and it's just crap. Don't buy the crap. Buy the good stuff and just buy less of it. And when you look at something, don't buy something that you can't afford. If you can't afford a watch, you should never go into debt for a watch. That's stupid. You should earn a watch. You know, if you have a successful outcome on something, go buy yourself a watch to make that a reminder of that, you know, unique situation in your life. What about for the people who say to you, well, I am budgeting and I'm spending just modestly, but still at the end of the month, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. What's your advice for them? 
stop buying coffee for $5.50. I can, I can walk around with anybody for a day and show you that they're wasting 15% of their money, sometimes 20, stupid stuff. You know, you go to work, you spend 15 bucks on a sandwich. What are you, an idiot? It costs you 99 cents to make a sandwich at home and bring it with you. So what if you bring it with you? Bring your own water if you have to, or your own drink, or bring your own coffee mug. You start to add that up every day, it's a ton of money. Most people, particularly working in metropolitan cities that are just starting out on their job, making their first 60,000, piss away about 15,000 a year on stupid stuff. And that's what they should stop doing. What about for the other side of the equation to make more money? Side hustle, always. Whatever you're doing, these days there's so many side hustles, you know, just getting social media people to edit this podcast well, just getting people to cut commercials or do all of our social media or tell our stories for our companies or just manage our TikTok accounts for all of our different activities. Those people used to be able to get for 25, 30,000 a year. I've got guys working on my team that are servicing us and two other companies making a quarter of a million a year. That's the ultimate side hustle because they're really good at writing. They're good at storytelling. They're good at cinematography. They're good at photography. And that's a skill set that nobody thought you needed five years ago, but now everything's social media, including large corporate messaging. So if you have a, a really good skill set, and we've got a great team, I mean, you know, just this podcast, uh, you're very successful, you have millions of followers, well, so do I. I'm going to make sure I blow you up on my network and you'll do the same on yours. And we're going to do that together because it's good for both of us. So my team will chop this up, your team will chop it up, watch what happens. <laughs> That's the whole value. That's the equation. It is true. I feel like with Upwork or Fiverr, anyone that has a skill can just go on and monetize it. Yeah, why and not? If you don't have but, it, you can learn but, it. But why not? And, and, be, and be flexible. I don't believe in the nine-to-five job market anymore. None of my team works in an office anymore because they don't want to. We have people working for us all around the world. We somehow are very, very productive, and that's the new economy. How do you measure productivity within your company? Project-based. I say, what do we have to get done by Friday at noon? Like that commercial we spent millions of dollars on. When does it have to drop to the networks? Two o'clock today. So we're going to get it done. We're going to get all the technology, all the graphics, all the pixelization, all the color correction. It's all going to get done, and we're going to deliver it. Then we're going to move on to the next project. I don't care when you get it done. I don't care if it's 2 in the morning or 8 in the morning. There is no 9 to 5. Just get it done by the deadline. How do you find the talent that works on your team, and then how do you decide whether they're good at their job? Hiring good talent gets more talent. You know, when you are very, I hire very slowly, and I fire very quickly because I don't want anybody inside our organization that's not moving in the same direction. And everybody knows that. Our team is very tight and, when, and they're all really good at what they do. They respect each other's work. Sure, we have lots of infighting, but that's just natural in a big family like that. But they're all exceptional in terms of their ability to execute. That attracts more people like that. I get you know, thousands of, of people that want to join us because they know one of my other team members and say, look, I want to be part of your team. And I pay well. You know, I'm not greedy. I make sure that we split up the largesse. When we have a successful, you know, business, we piece it out to everybody. So everybody gets to wet their beak. That's how you keep a team together. At the end of the day, people work to make money. They're not greedy, but they want to be rewarded for their work. And so I try and make that happen. We're not always successful every year, but some years we have fantastic outcomes. And it's just bonuses that you give out? Yeah, but it's bonuses or, you know, we, what I'll often do, you know, we'll get, um, I get approached a lot to be paid spokesperson for various companies. And usually uh, there's a 15% commission to agents. And what I've said is to a lot of the people I've been working with for decades now, 
Let's parcel it up and give points to everybody that's active in managing this account that has to do work. So if I'm shooting a commercial or if I have to go to a speaking engagement, or I have to fly somewhere, who's ever making that happen is part of the success equation. They get a piece. Mm. You know? So our advisory business, as I call it, is a big business. We make millions and millions of dollars every year. And I don't do that on my own. I've got a huge team. So I try and piece that out. And so I make sure we, you know, what do we get involved in? Uh, how do we do it? How can we create value? And who gets paid because they worked on it? It's that simple. I recently became an Emirati citizen because I really want to do more work in Abu Dhabi. I think that's going to become the capital of capital in the next 10 years, and I want to be part of it. There's a time in every business when the problem you've been ignoring needs to be handled. If you're getting frustrated with how you're selling online or in person, Shopify can help. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide, a truly global force powering millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 170 countries. So whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Erica, all lowercase, and that's Erica with a K. Go to shopify.com slash Erica to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Erica. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between six to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between six to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28. So go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com slash invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. A lot of people say that making your first 100,000 is the hardest. What would you say to people who want to go out and make their first 100,000? What's the best path to do that right now? Saving 15% of your paycheck each week. That's the key. That is really the key. My mother did it back in the 50s. And when she died, uh, she kept that account secret from both of her husbands. She was married twice. And I got called by the executor and said, you got to come down here. I'm the older brother. And I said, what for? I mean, we're a middle-class family. He said, no, no, no. Your mother has created an immense amount of wealth here. You've got to come down and see what she did. So she bought 50% um, telco bonds. Back then they were yielding between 6 and 7%. And 50% was in S&P stocks that paid dividends. And she kept that portfolio for 32 years. Wow. So it just grew geometrically over time. It was really remarkable. 
And uh, I learned that way. And that's sort of the way I invest. She never made sure that she had no more than 5% in any one stock and no more than 20% in any one sector, like energy or technology, whatever. Mm -hmm. So she had a lot of diversification. So if you really want to make $100,000 and do it, you know, relatively quickly, you basically save 15% of your paycheck and put it into an index in the market. Sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but over time you generally make six to 8%. That compounds within seven years, you'll get to your $100,000. Is that how you're still investing to this day? Yeah, that's how I invest. You know, people know me for Shark Tank. Those are highly speculative, very risky investments. And I assume most of them will go to zero. Once in a while, I get a big winner, pays for the mistakes. But bulk of my money is invested very conservatively in uh, everything from treasury bills to dividend-paying stocks, and a lot of them. So I have diversification. I invest in Europe. I invest in Asia. I invest in North America. And my portfolio pays for my, you know, I, I, I take the dividends and the interest, and that's what I live off. That's the, that's the strategy. I, don't, I never touch the principal. How do you think the everyday working person should be thinking about portfolio allocation and what percentage stocks, bonds, maybe alternative investments? Yeah, that's a good question because rates recently went up, then they came back down. They're, they're, very, they're fibrillating right now. They're going up and down quite a bit because the Fed is raising rates. I used to be 50-50, 50 stocks, 50 bonds, and then I changed it to 60-40 for stocks, and then I went to 70-30 for stocks, and that's where I am right now. I'm still going to stay that way, 30% in fixed income and uh, 70% in dividend-paying large-cap, high-quality stocks. I use ETFs, exchange-traded funds, to do this, and you know I rebalance every quarter. I, I mark-to-market everything every night. Not that that matters. I just do it because I can do it electronically now. And I keep some cash around. And I've recently, I've told everybody to do this, make sure your cash is in no more than 20% in any one bank because you never know when the next idiot manager is going to take his bank to zero. So you, you, you basically want to, so I've got our cash, our operating company cash in five banks. Basically up until, up to the FDIC insured limit? No, we're past that. But, <laughs> you know, but I, I basically say to myself, okay, we're not just in Canada or in the United States. We invest in Canada and Europe and Asia as well. So I have banking relationships in Europe. I have banking relationships in Canada and here in the United States. So we have geographic diversity. Now, I have currency risk. When I put money in a Canadian bank, it's in Canadian dollars. So I've got that risk of the currency uh, or the Swiss franc, the British pound and the euro and the other banks in Europe. But frankly, you know, that's good diversification too. And, and the Canadian banking system is the envy of the world. I mean, that's the most highly regulated banking system, and there's only five of them. That, so they're, it's very consolidated, and they've never had problems, even during the 2008 period. So um, I like to keep some cash up there, and same with Switzerland. Those guys are pretty good you know, at being conservative in, in the country itself. What's something you do with your money now that you wish you would have started in your 20s, besides investing? Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I, I'd had a better focus on... on stuff that I buy because I wasted a lot of money when I was young. I bought 50 sneakers. Well, I only wear three pair that I like a lot. You know, I bought 20 pairs of jeans. I only wear two that I like. And, and you know, suits, I have a great lesson because of Shark Tank. I only wear this, this Armani, not Armani, but Prada suit with a white shirt and a black tie. So I have 25 of these. They're all the same. And I keep them in all the places that I film. I've got them in New York. I have them in Miami. I've got them in Los Angeles. You know, and so I keep, so I don't have to travel with a whole bunch of, of, of clothing. 
And it's very efficient because I have a tailor, you know, they're tailored by Prada, they're exact size, and they all look the same. It's perfect. How did that become your signature look? There was a wardrobe uh, person at Shark Tank set in year four, and they said, look, I think you're, you're the mean one. Why don't we just get you in black, you know? I said, okay, that's <laughs> fine. And then I, was, I went, went to shoot with Barbara, actually, a, um, a Good Morning America segment promoting Shark Tank, and I decided to wear my blue suit with a yellow tie that day. Very striking. I thought it looked terrific. And she said, wait a minute, what's that? I said, well, it's what I'm wearing today. She said, no, you're not. There's something called a Q score that exists in television. People don't like it when they're expecting one thing and they get another. She said, go back to the hotel and put on your Shark Tank uniform. I said, you got to be kidding. She said, no, I'm not. I don't want to see something that no one's seen before. I want to see you in your Shark Tank outfit. And th that was also the year that I went to the Shark Tank set with a a, a watch which had a gold band on it I really liked. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, this is my watch for the show. She said, no, it's not. It's got to have a red band on it. <laughs> All of the watches you've worn for the last three years have had red bands. And when we edit between years, we got to have the red band with the black suit, you know, the white shirt, black tie, tie pin. It's got to be the same for continuity. And that's when the whole red watch band thing started, which is now, in terms of the watch community, pretty legendary story yeah. because I, I don't buy watches that I can't put red bands on. <laughs> How much of your Shark Tank character is a persona that you put on for the TV versus real you? No, that is the real me. I mean, if you, you know. You're much nicer. No, than you but are the thing TV. is, if we're doing business, the thing about business is it's binary. You either make money or you lose it. And so you have to tell the truth. And sometimes the truth is unpleasant because, you know, I don't want to invest in your deal because it's a stupid idea. And I think it's going to go to zero, and it probably will if I say that. And, you know, I'm pretty good at, at, at assessing situations and saying which ones have merit and which don't. And, you know, it's hard to tell somebody who spent three years working on something that it's worthless. So you know, I'm not like Barbara who will say, oh, you keep doing what you're doing, you know, isn't that great, but I'm not giving you a dime, which is code for your idea sucks and I don't want to invest in it. You know, the only reason... And I love Barbara because we've been working together for 15 years. The only reason she gets the Shark Tank set every year is I buy her a new broom. <laughs> she told me you'd say that. <laughs> I can't help myself. It's so true. But, the, you know, she, she jets around on a new broom. I get her the latest version every year. <laughs> What's the one company that you regret not investing in? Well, there's Ring is the, the legendary one because I offered Jamie 600000 and he sold it for $1.1 So I would have made a lot of money on that. But he didn't want debt, and I wanted venture debt, which means it's, you know, I was sitting up on the top of the cap table, get my 600000 back, plus a little equity. Uh, but we've become pretty close friends. But I don't worry about spilt milk. There's so many opportunities out there. And every season, I don't know what's going to come through those doors. I'm just like you. I'm, I'm waiting to see what they are. And there's always great opportunities. And so I invest in them. And I, and I always you know, get enough good ones that make Shark Tank really interesting for me. And I enjoy working with the entrepreneurs. What are you telling your CEOs to do today, given the volatility in the financial markets? Two things, because this is very important, and this is good information for anybody running a business or even personally. The first thing we did after this blow-up, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, is we said, look, we cannot no longer have all of our liquid cash in one bank. We don't know what's going to happen to that bank. Even a big bank, you have no idea. So we decided 20% is the maximum. So if you have a million dollars, 20% of that 
is going to go into one bank, 20% into another, 20% into another, so five banks. So we now have five banks. That was the first thing. Each company now, and it's not hard to manage because everything's online. Mm -hmm. You can do transfers between them as you need it. We just use one for payroll and we make sure the others are for free cash that we need to operate. So uh, we've been good at that, so we've de-risked that. And the other thing that we've all done is applied for the ERC, which is the Employment Retention Credit, which nobody knows about, okay? This is something I discovered, and now I'm applying for every one of my companies. And so here's how it works. Back in 2020, if you were operating, and most of mine were at that time, and you were paying your employees with W-2s, which is what you do in payroll, if you had employees, if you have more, you need five to 500. That's the range that this program works with. Now, the reason you've never heard of it is it came on by the government at the same time that the PPP loan happened. And the PPP loan was administered by your bank. So let's say you were banking your business at Bank of America. You just called up the bank and they applied for the loan for you. Well, that's not how the ERC, the Employment Retention Credit, works. You've got to fill it out yourself and it's a 170-page program. So it's really complicated. At the beginning, if you took the PPP, it meant you could not apply for the ERC. And that's what everybody assumed. But the law changed in early 2021, allowing you, because the pandemic got so bad, mm -hmm. allowing you to have both. So companies that think they, they can't even get it don't even know they can. And so the government's got over $250 billion allocated to this, and they've only given away nine or ten of it so far. It's not a loan. It's cash. It's a, it's, it's a one-time cash check that you get from the government to apply for your business. It's it gets you, you, you get about $26,000 per employee. And so what you have to do is A, know about it, and B, then apply. So what I've done, because I'm, you know, become a, I've actually become a paid spokesperson for the program, it's so important to all businesses. I've set up a site called wondertrust.com where you can go book an appointment with an expert, talk to them for five minutes, find out if you can qualify. And my guess is even though you think you can't, you can if you run a business or had a business back then. And then we'll run the application for you. We don't charge you anything until you get your check and you pay for how much accountant's time you use because you got to pay the accountants. Mm -hmm. So this costs money, but it's what you get as a check first. There's no upfront fee. And we actually watch it being processed by the IRS for you. It takes about four months. So I tell everybody, I'm just top of a mountain yelling out, if you, you've got to apply for this because it runs out in 23 months. It's called the ERC program, the Employment Retention Credit Program. You can get it at wondertrust.com. Okay, perfect. That's wondertrust.com. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. What else should small business owners and entrepreneurs be thinking about in terms of being efficient and understanding the laws that are out there to help them that they may not be utilizing? One thing they should realize now that the cost of capital just in the last two months has become far more expensive. And so it's going to be a lot harder to raise money going forward. Very, very difficult. I think venture capitalists are going to focus on their existing portfolios and try and keep the companies they have going. I'm not sure they're going to make a lot of new investments the same way they did in the past. I would be a penny pincher if I was running a business. And what's going to matter the most is how you preserve cash. Cash is hard to come by. So I wouldn't squander it. I wouldn't waste it. And I say that to you if you're an entrepreneur or just an individual. Whether you're working for somebody else or working for yourself, cash is king. Do you have any other small business entrepreneur-related tips that we can go into? You know, the other piece of advice I would give to every small business is what I've learned with my portfolio. The number one feature that we have worked so hard on for, since the pandemic started for the last three years 
is customer acquisition and the importance of social media, the importance of telling your story, the importance of getting a direct account relationship with a customer. Because pre-pandemic, more than half our sales went through retail. Now half our sales are going direct to consumer. So direct consumer models are everything. Who's running your social? Who's telling the story? Who's writing the copy? Who's photographing the products? Who's maintaining the website? Who's doing all of that? Because that is really what differentiates a successful small business from a failure. It's really understanding the power of social media. So when I look at my portfolio, the ones that have really thrived were fantastic at telling stories and great at designing websites and really providing terrific customer service and support. Those are things that matter. So it's not just a great product. Building the best mousetrap doesn't do it. It's communicating the story of the mousetrap that makes it work. And that's really what this is about. When you're working with your social team to craft your story, what is your story? What do you want people to think of when they think of Kevin O'Leary? Well, you know, I, I try and be just honest and, and just see it the way I see it. And sometimes it's a message that people like, sometimes they don't like it. I go back to the way we started our conversation. I have a lot of critics and there's a lot of people that just blast me on social media for various things. It's not that I don't care, but I actually don't care. Like, so it doesn't affect what I do in the morning. Like I, I just keep doing what I do and I don't, it's fair to criticize. I have no problem. I'm certainly an open critic, but, and I've been very critical of, of you know, this, this, this banking policy of late. I'm a real critic because I don't agree with it, but I'm just one voice. You can agree with me. You don't have to. It, it, it's sort of, I just want to put my opinion out there to the extent that it helps you think about it. Then I've done my job. Uh, whether you agree with me or not, doesn't matter. What matters is that you consider the idea. I respect everybody's idea. I want to hear why it has merit. I'm happy to let them tell me why they think it has merit. I'm very interested to be a student of new ideas because I know that's very valuable. And I don't criticize people for having ideas that are different than mine, but I don't have to execute on them. If I don't like them, I don't use them. It's that simple, but that's my prerogative. And that's the open discourse we should have as a society. You should present ideas, present concepts, present your views, and then let the market absorb it. Either people agree or they won't. It, but you can't change people's minds if they don't want their minds changed. And you can't make everybody like you, so why do you try? This is the biggest mistake people do with their time is saying, oh my goodness, people don't like me or they don't like me on social media or they're criticizing a post I made. Who gives a shit? Like, why do you care? There's millions of people out there. Some will agree, some won't. Don't worry about it. Just stay true to yourself. Have you always been like that? Or do you think you've developed thicker skin? Because I'm quite new to social media and I feel like it does impact me. And I am still very sensitive to the negative comments. I think I've always been this way. I, 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 to me, the most important person that I have to deal with every day is myself. And if, if I don't like what I've done all day long when I'm going to bed, then I'm failing. So if I look at my day, I said, I'd, everything I did today, I, I, I'm pretty happy with. Uh, that's good. And, and, if, and if some people don't like it, okay, so what? It's, it, how can you possibly make millions of people happy? It's impossible. So why would you spend a second of your time worrying about it? Like, I just don't even think about it. It doesn't cross my mind. You know, and I, sometimes my wife or my daughter or my son will say to me, look at this guy on, on social media, he's blasting you. I say the very fact that he spent the time to write those three paragraphs 
you know, no matter what they are, that I have to respect that. That's a lot of time. Like, you know, <laughs> sitting there typing all that hate mail and all that. I mean, like, wow, that's, I'm impressed. You know, maybe the message isn't so great, but who cares? You got to respect the guy's time. Yeah. So we have a closing tradition. This is the final question. Our closing tradition is the podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is all about Kevin Taught Me. So what do you want people to walk away from this podcast being able to say, Kevin O'Leary taught me this? Kevin O'Leary taught me to always tell the truth because then I'll never have to remember what I said. That is exactly what I want people to walk away with. Incredible. And get your ERC credit. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this. You got it. If you've enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to leave a review. It really helps support what we're doing. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.